verse 9, and we're going to be continuing tonight our series on Jesus is. Can you hold that? Put that somewhere over there. Jesus is. And, and last week we talked about Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And, and tonight we're going to be talking about something different, but let, let's read a couple verses as we get started here. Uh, Matthew 9 and verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Verse 10, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And notice that when the Pharisees saw it, that's the religious people of their day, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Was the king tonight. And Jesus heard him, and he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Verse 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For, for, for I did not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can we get an amen? Let's turn to Romans. Romans 5. Romans 5. And we're going to start in verse 6. It's important that we preach from the Word of God, the Bible, because if we believe it's inspired and we believe it's God's Word. And it's important, not what I think, but what the Bible thinks, because it's inspired by God. And uh, God knows a lot more than all of us put together. Can we all say amen? So Romans 5, and we're going to read in verse 6. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. In verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Notice that but, but God. Let me like the but from God. Because God's but is bigger than your but. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we get amen in the house of God? We're going to be responders tonight. We're going to be engaged in this message. The quiet church is a dead church and we're not a dead church. It's good to have a uh, uh, the Stumbler crew back, and everybody who went on vacation, we're glad that you're back home. It was very empty without you last week, but we made it. We made it to the other side, but we missed you. We're glad you're back. Uh, so last week we talked about Jesus is God, but tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus is friend of sinners. Jesus is friend of sinners. Let's look over at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus asked a question to his disciples, and he says, Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, verse 15. We're just going to read it real quick. Matthew 16, verse 15. He said, But who do you say that I am? In verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. But notice that. Who do you say that I am? And this whole series we're doing is called Jesus Is. 
And it all revolves around the fact that who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a moral person? Is he just somebody in history? Is he your homeboy? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus just uh, a figment of somebody's imagination that somebody made up a long time ago so we can have churches, so we can get people's money? What is Jesus? Who is he? Is he God? Or is he, like you said last week, like C.S. Lewis said, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? Who is Jesus? And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Because realize, whoever you say that Jesus is to you, that's what he'll be to you. But we found out last week that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And we're going to be putting that uh, message from last week up online very soon in the podcast. But we talked about Jesus is God. So realize this, Jesus is God, but the question we need to ask after that, if Jesus is God, then, then what is he like, and what does he do, and who does he hang out with? And really the answer to those questions you can get in the Gospels, because if you want to know what Jesus was like, read about his life in the Gospels. What did he do? Who did he talk to? Who did he engage with? Who did he honor? Who did he hang out with? You can learn a lot about Jesus from the Gospels. And so we see here, we got to ask this question, who does, who does Jesus like? Who does Jesus want to hang out with? And a, a lot of us in here, especially if you've grown up in church, or maybe you've been heard John 316, you know that God loves you, but you just don't think he likes you. Quiet in this Methodist church already. A lot of us feel like that. We know God loves us because he has to, because he's God, and he, he is love. But it's not like he really likes us, not like he really wants to hang out with us, not like he really cares about our lives, but he has to because he's obligated because he's God and he is love. And that's the wrong perspective on God because Jesus not only loves you, but he likes you. And we learn this from the gospel, who not only Jesus loves, but who does he like. And, and more importantly than that, who you like and who you love, you hang out with. Who did Jesus hang out with in the gospels? You know, I think you're going to be shocked by who he comes and hangs out with and who he doesn't hang out with. And ask this question, God would hang out with good people, right? We assume that. The God of the universe who's absolutely holy, absolutely perfect, absolutely has done nothing wrong ever, we assume that he would hang out with good people, right? But the gospel tells us something completely different than that. It tells us something completely different about who Jesus is. And realize up to the point that Jesus came to earth for thousands and thousands of years, religious people, uh, Pharisees, prophets, Sadducees, were trying to tell people what God was like and who he liked and who he would want to hang out with and who he would want to hang out with. And Jesus came and threw that whole idea on top of himself. He turned it completely upside down because he was nothing like what all these thousands of years, all the religious people said God was like. How many know since Jesus is God, he reveals God to mankind, what he is like, and who, the, who he loves, who he honors, who he wants to hang out with. And Jesus doesn't hang out with people that you and I think he would hang out with. A lot of us think if he was going to come to anybody's house, he would go to Billy Graham's house, Mother Teresa's house, somebody's house. He wouldn't come to your house. Some of us even here think, you know, if Jesus was here in physical form, which we know he's not here in physical form, he's here by his spirit through the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus is still on the earth. But if he was here in physical form like he was for 33 years walking around, we say, well, he wouldn't go to Little Wayne's house. He wouldn't go to Miley Cyrus 2.0's house. He definitely wouldn't go to her house. 
I think you'd be shocked. All the people trying to throw all these celebrities under the bus, you got to realize they need help just like we need help. And your dirty laundry is not on the news like theirs is. <laughs> Hello, somebody. So maybe he would go to some of those people's house more than your house because you think you got it all together and they realize they're jacked up. I think you'd be surprised who Jesus would go and hang out with. Who would Jesus hang out with? Would he hang out with good people, right? We'll see. A lot of us think that Jesus hung out with politicians and preachers, but he actually he hung out with pimps and prostitutes. That's shocking. I don't know if you realize that's shocking. Let me put it in modern day. If you saw our pastor hanging out with like some of the most notorious drug lords in the Louisville area and people that you knew were prostitutes, what would you think about that? Because you're just saying, you know, Jesus is kind of hard to imagine, but somebody you really respect, like our pastor, somebody like that, if you, you knew he was hanging out with so-called prostitutes, eating with somebody like that, a, a drug dealer, eating with somebody like that, I didn't say going to the club with him, let me explain myself, I, I mean eating with them at a restaurant, what would you think about that? A lot of you wouldn't be okay with that, and that's a problem. We're going to get into some stuff tonight. You religious devils are going to scream by the end of this message. Every, every part of religiousness you got in you, so get out. But who would he hang out with? You know, Jesus didn't come and hang out with politicians and preachers. He hung out with those and prostitutes. And that's hard for us to imagine because none of us hang out with people like that. We avoid people like that, but actually those are the people that Jesus went to. That's something to think about. And I think it's not said enough in churches because those are the people we avoid and we don't hang out. And those are the people that Jesus hung out with all the time. Think about this. When Jesus came, all the religious people thought that they were going to hang out with them. All the people that were so-called religious or good or clean or nice people, the religious people thought that Jesus was going to hang out with them and he was really the Messiah. He was really God. And he was going to rebuke the sinners. But actually, if you read the Gospels, Jesus hung out with the sinners and rebuked the religious people. We don't bring that up in church. Jesus rebuked the church-going people and he hung out with the sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I don't know if you realize that. That's what your Bible says. So, why does Jesus hang out with bad people? Notice this in Matthew 9. Let's flip, flip back over to Matthew 9. says, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, behold, 
categories. Uh, we don't mean to sometimes, and sometimes we don't say it, but we're thinking it. And we put people into two different categories. Either you're a good person, or you're a bad person. <laughs> you're either blessed, or you're cursed. You're either a saint, or you're a sinner. And we put people into categories all the time, and a lot of people, I'm just going to uh, stereotype people because a lot of these are stereotypes anyways. A lot of people say, I'm a good person. You say, well, why are you a good person? Well, um, I was from a good family. I had, I had uh, two parents in the household. Uh, we lived in the suburbs. Uh, we were involved in sports. We went to church every once in a while. Uh, we were some of those believers who went more than Christmas and Easter. We, we actually went a couple times during the year. So God would give us a few extra points for that, probably. And, um, you know, we, we tried to do some good things. We, we worked at the Red Cross one time. We gave the Salvation Army one time. We gave God a couple, you know, tips one time at church. So we're, we're good people. We're good people. We're good person. A lot of people will say that, won't they? That, that we're good people. And a lot of people will even admit sometimes that they're on the opposite end of the scale, whether they, they know it or not, they don't imply that they're a bad person. They'll say, well, I just, I'm never going to be like so-and-so. I wasn't raised like that. I've done some really bad things. So I, I'm not good like you guys. You've heard people say that even about church. Oh, you don't want me to come to your church. Oh, you don't want me to come to your church. You don't know what I've done. I'm not a good person. Like, y'all are good people, cleaned up people, just proper people. I'm not good. You know, if I came to your church, your church would probably fall down around me. But they even apply those standards even on themselves, whether you say it or not. We have this idea of good people versus bad people. You know, that's, that's a, a strategy of the enemy to categorize people when God didn't put anybody in those kind of categories. And we do this, and religion enforces these categories that we put on people. We have the good people over here, and we have the bad people over here. The good people go to church, the bad people don't. The good people do small sins, like gossip, pride, cheating on tests, stuff like that. The bad people do the big sins, like murder people and rape and stuff like that. They do the, the big nasty sins. But the good people just do the small stuff. And we categorize people into these categories, don't we? I'm saying, if, if you if you might have not even said it, but you, you apply that with the way you live, the way you think, that there's good people and there's bad people, but God doesn't look at people like, with the same way we do with good people versus bad people. Now, understand this. There's, uh, there's an unsaid, un, uh, unspoken sometimes scale that we all live by, whether you know it or not. And the thing is, if you live by that scale of there's, uh, there's small sins, there's medium sins, there's really big sins, there's really, really nasty sins, but there's no hope for you sins, uh, you're going to be a crazy person the rest of your life. Why? Because you're going to either be in pride or despair. Because if you think you've got small sins, and you're better than everybody else, you're in pride. But then if you think you're a really, really bad person, like you murdered somebody and you're just too far, and God can't save me, God can't do anything, you're in despair. But God never put those categories on people. That's mankind and religion that put people into those good people, bad people categories. And realize if you live like that, you're going to either be in one category or the other. And realize this, Jesus said, when Jesus heard them, he said that in verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, Jesus said it like this. Because he was talking to religious people who thought they were good people. They didn't need any help. They were good. 
They didn't need a Savior. They were good. He put them in different categories. There's people that think they're righteous, good people that think they're righteous. And really, the, the word originally is here, self-righteous, with their pride. But then there's the people that are sick, that they know they're, they're sinners and need help. So Jesus puts it in those two categories, and really, he's kind of being smart and making a joke at the Pharisees he's talking to. Because there's people that think they're righteous, and then there's people that know they need help. But everybody's in the same category. Realize this. There's no such thing as small sins, big sins, medium sins. Sin is sin. To God, sin is sin. And everybody, it says in Romans 3, you can look it up later. In Romans 3, it says, all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned. Not just bad people, not just so-called good people. All have sinned. Whether you got money or not, whether you live in the suburbs or not, whether you live in the hood, or if you live in a mansion or not, all have sinned. Whether you put to church your life, whether you give money to old ladies, whether you help people cross the street, whether you went to the Salvation Army and helped hand out some food one time, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short. So realize this to God, everyone is a bad person and everyone is lost in a sinner. There's no such thing as good people, bad people to God. Everyone's bad, everyone's lost, everyone is a sinner apart from God. And everyone is in need of a Savior. But the categories come in when there's people that realize they need a Savior, and there's people that are so-called good, self-righteous people that don't think they need one, and they still need one. So it can be the people that admit they need it, or people that don't admit they need it. But everybody still needs it. And that's why he says, I'm not coming to so-called well people. People who think they've got it all together, but I'm coming to those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, for I did not come to call the righteous or self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, you've got to understand this, that because we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that really one of the, the most nasty sins, and this is more prominent for people that have grown up in church, is pride. Okay, well, if you got nothing else to be on your sin category, pride, you just made it. 
next couple weeks, I'm done with you. Like Christmas. I'm going to act like I'm interested in your life for a few weeks, but if you don't start coming to my church, you're done. You're gone. Did Jesus act like that? I don't think he did. Here's something that's going to blow your mind. Jesus befriended people that he knew would never be saved. Jesus loved people, befriended people, went to eat with people that he knew would never even admit that they were a sinner and come to him. That's called love without an agenda. Let me ask this. I, I realize the focus of what we've been talking about for these uh, last couple weeks and the next couple weeks is Jesus and who he is. Jesus is a friend of sinners. But uh, once you know who Jesus is, then you can start knowing who you are as his follower. Let me ask this. Real talk. Who are you befriending in your life without an agenda? Who's lost? Who's broken? Who doesn't always talk with nice language? Who doesn't go to the same place that you go to on Saturday nights? Who are you befriending in your life? And not that you're going to cut them off in the next couple of weeks just because they don't go to your church. Or a lot of us think this we start talking to the lost person and we feel like we've got to share heaven, hell, salvation prayer within 10 minutes of getting to know them. Or we're doing something wrong. I don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus would sit down and eat for hours and hours and hours and not bring anything up. Who are you befriending in your life? Because we should be befriending, be loving, be seeking the same people that Jesus 
look at all the rest of the people that haven't been in the house living crazy like we deserve it and they don't. Realizing that none of us deserve anything, but it's by God's grace we receive everything. And so it says here, now the older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music of Jesus. So one called his servant asking what this is. In verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come, and because he was received safe and sound, your father has killed the fatty calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Notice that right there, because these were two sons in the father's house. And realize they got everything that belonged to them, not because of what they did, but because of who they were. They didn't get blessed or accepted because they were working hard for their dad. They got blessed and accepted. Why? Because they were sons. They were in the family of God. That's the same thing with us. We don't get what we deserve by what we do for God, by what we serve and do and act, and just because we're so called we deserve it more. We get what we have because of God, and He is our Father, and we are His children. Bottom line. But notice He said, I have been serving you, implying this one, He had a servant's mentality, not a son mentality. How many of you have ever said that I've been serving in the ministry of health all these years, and this person could walk up in church and get my blessing? Maybe you didn't say it because you're not that nasty and mean, but you were thinking it in your head. Well, this person just got promoted, and I've been working in the ministry of health, tithing and giving offerings all these years, and they're just going to come in here and act like everything's okay? Okay, older brother, go ahead. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Why? That was a lie right there. How many of us have, have acted like that before? Like we've never done anything wrong. Why? Because we're scaling it. Because he's, he's saying I've never done anything wrong. Why? Compared to my older brother. Who's out here sleeping with prostitutes and getting drunk every night. My sin doesn't look as bad. Why? Good people versus bad people. He's on that scale for and so, he says, I've never done anything wrong. Why? Yet you have never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, notice, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. So he's bringing up his past. Dad didn't bring up his past. Put the older brother brought up his past. Let me say this. Let me be very careful. I'm getting into Madeline, and I realize that tonight. But be careful about bringing up somebody's past that's trying to get their life right and trying to come back to church. Don't be accuser of the brethren like Satan and be bringing up people's past. Well, I see you in church right now, but I know where you were last night. I know where you were a couple years ago. I know what you were doing a couple weeks ago. Don't don't come in church and act like you're really involved, like you really want to get your life right. And a lot of us, we won't say it, but we're thinking it. What is that? That's pride. That's being self-righteous, and that's just as nasty a sin as somebody committing murder or rape or anything else like that. We look down at the drug addicts, we look down at, at the porn stars, but we got stuff just as nasty in our life. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Well, as soon as the son of yours came, he has devoured 
where they can get, come to church. They can't do it without Him. See, a lot of us, we've been church so long, we forgot where, where we came from. That we weren't once in that same place that they were. But that was us 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We get surprised so easily. And like I said, I would raise my hand and be the first to admit it. Whether I've said it out of my mouth, there's just little attitudes I've said, I've, I've, I've comments in my head, or even little comments I've said to other people, I've been number one. And though a lot of us can raise our hands and say, that, yeah, that's true. It's so easy to happen because that, that sin of self-righteousness and pride will try to creep up on us. And religion enforces that. And the society and culture enforces those standards that I'm talking about. Good people versus bad people. They want to make people at odds against each other because they shouldn't be at odds. The enemy wants to keep everybody in different categories so we don't reach each other. He wants to put us against each other so we're automatically our defenses. Now, the Pharisees and religious people 
Christ's mission is the church's mission to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Here's the quote that, that uh, a great preacher once said also The church is not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for sick people. The church is not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for sick, broken people. Realize people that are lost, sick, and broken don't act like church people, don't smell like church people, don't talk like church people, and it's uncomfortable. But that's our mission. Love will get uncomfortable. Real love will get uncomfortable. If you only hang out with people that make you feel comfortable, you're really not walking love yet. A lot of us are like, we, we got a love walk. You're only hanging out with church people and your family, for goodness sakes. It's not hard to walk in love with church people, for goodness sakes. You're not hanging out with anybody who's lost and difficult and broken in your life. No wonder your love walks so long. You don't have to walk with somebody who's really got some issues. They see how much you really got love, mercy, compassion, being kind to difficult people. I realize I'm preaching. It is uncomfortable, but it is good. Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know why this message is uncomfortable? Because it, it's so much all over the Bible, but nobody says it. Nobody calls it out. Nobody mentions these verses. Nobody emphasizes this part. But this is the point of the gospel of the reason Jesus came is to save sinners. It's to, to come to seek and save that which was lost. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. It's amazing because we overlook the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason we're here. It's to seek and save that which was lost. Notice in Romans 5, verse 6, when we were still without strength, notice that without strength, time Christ died, notice, for the ungodly. He didn't die for just good people. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteousness will, will someone die. Yet perhaps for a good man, good man, someone would even dare to die. What is that? Those are standards. He's saying, for a good person, you maybe could see somebody die for them, somebody they really love. Maybe you could see somebody, but notice the next verse. But God demonstrates in verse 8 his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, we were bad people, we were lost people, we were broken people, we didn't love him, we hated him at the time. Notice, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy love. That's ridiculous, that's scandalous love. Human love does not know anything about that. That's why it says, you can see somebody maybe die for a good person, for a pretty good person, for somebody they love, but dying for somebody who doesn't love them, dying for somebody who's ungodly, who's a sinner, who's a lost, broken person, that's crazy. But that's what Jesus came and did. He died for us while we were still dead sinners. Those who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's look at First Timothy 1. You got to see anything tonight? I'm not throwing this over your head. You guys get it. First Timothy 1. Jesus is God, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's 
he did break some. But if anybody got close, the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, especially him, he was the Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew the, the religious books of the Bible. He could quote to you all the commandments. He could quote to you all the Proverbs. He could quote to you the whole books of the Bible. The Apostle Paul could. And he was a very religious man before he got saved. So if anybody could put up the standard and say, I was a good person, I didn't need any help, it could be Paul. Because he was a religious person of religious people. He was the Billy Graham of that day in religion. If anybody could say, well, I'm a good person, I don't need much help. But notice he said, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am he. I'm number one. I'm the worst one there is. What kind of attitude is that? That's an attitude of humility and realizing his need for Jesus to save you. Like I said earlier, if you want to meet your need for Jesus to save you, he can't help you. If you're going to keep being prideful and self-righteous, if you've got it all together and you've been a pretty good person in your life, and you know, you've been giving tithes and offerings since you were a little kid, and you, you made it to every service, and I'm awesome, and I don't need any help, go for it. Jesus can't help you. Jesus can't help you. But notice, he says here, a fool. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Who did you think about when you said sinners? A lot of people in here have somebody in their family that said sinners. They fit that category. At my work, I got a couple people. If you didn't think about yourself, that's an issue. And this is not the game of who you are in Christ. We realize now that you're in Christ, you are saved. You're not a sinner anymore. But sometimes you don't need to let your fall get you away from your fall. Yeah, you fall now. You're a new person now. But you used to be strong. Remember that. Don't let, let that ever get out of your mind because then you'll stop being thankful. Then you'll stop being compassionate. Then you'll stop being merciful for people who still need help. If you think, why does it? got it together. Well, you always didn't have it together, Paul. You used to be Saul, and that's what Paul's remembering. He's remembering here, yeah, I, I am who I am by the grace of God now, and I'm a saint now, and I'm an apostle now, and I'm blessed and favored now, but I always wasn't that way. I used to be a sinner, and I needed salvation, and Jesus came to save me if he didn't come to save anybody else. That's the realization that we have to have 
best to He likes you and He wants you to be His best friend. He wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to have that. I mean, we realize He's, he's God and He's Lord, but He also wants to be your friend. He also wants to be in fellowship and communion with you every day. He wants you to tell Him everything. You know, since there is a friend that sticks closer to your brother, and that friend is Jesus. He sits closer to you than your mother or your father. He sits closer to you than your siblings. He sits closer to you than your brother or, or your sister, your a boyfriend or your girlfriend. Anybody in your life, let me tell you something, they're going to let you down. Everybody will. But Jesus will never let you down. You know that Jesus will never forsake you. Jesus will never leave you no matter what you do. Even if you're unfriendly, he's still a friend to you. Even if you ignore him for weeks and months and years at a time, Jesus still wants to be your best friend. And Jesus is God, that's right, but you got to realize Jesus is God, but Jesus wants to be your best friend. He wants you to be his best friend. Understand this, Jesus knows you better than anyone, completely, and loves you and accepts you more than anyone. Do you know that? Jesus knows you better and completely than anyone. More than your parents, more than your brother or sister, more than your boyfriend or girlfriend, more than any friend in your life. He knows you better, more completely than anyone. And he loves you and still accepts you completely. That's a good friend. Because nobody knows you completely and totally and still loves you like that. If anybody gets close, it's your mom or your daddy. But even them, they don't know you the same way that Jesus knows you. And Jesus loves you and accepts you completely and wants to be your best friend. But there is a friend, notice, who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus desires to have a relationship with you. Really, Jesus is God, but not to the point that he doesn't have friendship, communion, fellowship with you every day. Because a lot of us think, well, yeah, Jesus is God, but on a day-to-day basis, he really doesn't care about what I'm going through. He's got 
truth, then we're going to get a revelation of what Jesus 